Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. If we look at the Old Testament, um, Bible theologians would call it, the Old Testament is the age and was the era of God the Father. If you look at the New Testament, we will see that theologians and biblical scholars would, would term that, that time frame would be the age or the era of God the Son, which is obviously Jesus. But then we see that we are living in today's current age, and today's current age is the age or the era of the Holy Spirit. My, um, if we use a title this afternoon for our message, it would be Acknowledging the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, we could, do a, we could do a series on the Holy Spirit that would last for a whole year, but I really just want to sort of um, get the ball rolling and just sort of set up um, how the Holy Spirit, who He is, and how we interact with Him and what He can do and what He represents in our lives. So we see that... Um, when Jesus had died and had, whom had been resurrected, he came back onto the earth in John chapter 20 and the disciples were in a bit of disarray and he met with them in a room and um, they were in fear of their lives because they thought the Jews were going to come after them and they were concerned Jesus had disappeared. They were in disarray. And then Jesus sat down and he ate with them and he spoke with them and he talked with them and he showed that he had been resurrected and he had conquered sin and death and he had, he had the power of, uh, he went down into hell and he took the keys from the gates of hell and no longer did sin or the power of death or hell have any sting anymore. We sing about it in many of our worship songs. But Jesus did something quite strange that he pulled his disciples in and he began to breathe on them. Who would think that would be a little bit strange if your pastor just came up to you and began to just breathe on you? You'd, you wouldn't want me to do it today. I had lamb korma for lunch, okay? So, but I've had a few mints, okay? So it's going to be safe. So if I breathe or blow on anyone today, you should be okay. But what we see here is that as Jesus breathed on his disciples, he said, now receive the Holy Spirit. This was the first time that at different times throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on prophets and he would come on different people. He would anoint different people for tasks or for different reasons. But this was the first time because the Holy Spirit began to indwell within them. My first point is that... Um, the Holy Spirit, he wants to take, he takes residence in our hearts immediately we have salvation. You say, well, what are you talking about Jesus breathing on the disciples? Well, what we saw is that when Jesus breathed on his disciples the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit actually hadn't indwelled in mankind in human flesh in this body, in, the, in this temple. The Holy Spirit hadn't dwelled in it since Adam when they, Adam and Eve were filled with the Holy Spirit, but when they sinned, the Holy Spirit departed from them. And then they were all the life and all the overflow of the goodness of God and that relationship that they had with God was terminated in an instant because sin was present. 
But when we see that when Jesus, when he was resurrected, when he went down into hell and he came back, he hadn't yet been in his glorified state where the disciples saw him whisked off into a cloud. That hadn't quite happened, but we, what we saw is that the power of sin had been broken. And now for the very first time in the last 2,000 years, we have actually, we can partake and actually have God living on the inside of us. Give me a wave if you're following this. This is very deep for Sunday afternoon. The moment we got saved, our nature, we were dead but the Holy Spirit came and filled us immediately and he indwelled within us. Let's have a look at that in a passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1.22, if it's up there on the screen. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. So immediately... We say, yes, we want to be a follower of you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. And then there's many scriptures that we could break open from that. Our hearts from that point on cry, Abba, Father. And we we can go on. But I just want to just set this up this afternoon. So just bear with me. And then we're really going to have some fun. Who wants to have some fun? Turn the person next to you and say, do you want some fun? Give someone a high five. The Amplified Version says it was sealed, everyone say sealed, with his presence. This seal means to confirm, to authenticate, to guarantee or to pledge. The Greek word is eloxa, which is to preserve. It's the same thing that we talk about with this seal of the Holy Spirit it is, um, you could actually break it down from the Greek where it's like a wedding ring. It's like a covenant. It's like an agreement. It's like a promise. It's like a pledge. It's unbreakable that when the Holy Spirit comes with his seal, we become in covenant with God right there and then. And we come into partnership with him. The other thing that happens when we relate with the Holy Spirit is point number two, that he speaks to us especially through the Word of God, through God's Word. Let's have a look at this, John 14, verse 26, and I'll just move to the side so everyone can see. But when the Father sends the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, just in case I said it earlier, He will teach you everything and He will remind you of everything that I've told you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Keep it up there. And Jesus continues to go on and say, I actually have to go. But as I actually have to go and go off into my glorified state to go and sit at the right-hand side of the Father up in heaven with all authority, with all power, I have to go because someone is going to come and he is going to help you. He's going to be your advocate and he's actually going to illuminate to you He's actually going to reveal to you. He's actually going to, he's going to usher in my thoughts, my ways, my teachings. Even though I'm gone in my body state, 
one person at one place in one point in time in history, the Son of God, he actually had to go so that the helper could come. Remember, we're now living in the age, the era, as theologians say, the era of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is outworking, where he is infilling people and he's revealing Jesus' ways, Jesus' commands, Jesus' ways of thinking, because as we know, Jesus did not do anything on his own accord. He did everything that the Father asked him to do. And as Jesus outworked every instruction and everything that the Father wanted him to do, so much so, that's what the Holy Spirit is outworking. He's outworking everything that was in Jesus, which was everything within the Father. Are you with me? Give me a wave. Okay, let's keep buckling down. So we see here that he speaks to us, especially through the word of God. That gives us a whole nother slant when we read the word of God. We're not just reading the word of God for some historical references of what God has done in the past. The word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not just for a hard read when we've got nothing else to do. It's the Word of God. The Word of God reveals the nature of God. The Word of God reveals um, the, what, what God's intentions are for us. You know, I heard something absolutely beautiful this week. Is that if we could change the way our thinking is around reading the Word of God, rather than a list of do's and don'ts, rather than a list of, of staying on track. That, that's good. The, whole, the, the Word of God is the truth. The truth sets us free and, and, and it empowers us to live a life full of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But what about if we actually looked a little bit deeper and we actually look and we see the, the nature and the reflection of God's love towards us? We actually find our identity in who God is and how, we, and how we relate to him rather than what we can do for him. You think about that. If we're doing stuff, if we're a living room leader, if we're doing stuff and we're leading worship, we've got to be careful that we don't get this sense that, well, I'm doing some stuff for you, God, so maybe I'm a little bit more special and, and, I'm, and I'm doing stuff, therefore my identity can be found in what I do. Pastors in ministry get caught in this trap all the time. They can do this, some, some stuff for God and they get caught in the rhythms of ministry and before you know it, they're finding their identity in the stuff that they're doing for God because they're an ambassador for Christ and they're a special messenger for God. And if they're not careful and their identity isn't grounded in the fact that they are loved and they can't earn it anything more, it's a free gift of grace. It's unmerited. You can't work for it. It's a free gift. It's something beautiful about someone that... that that lives a life that is, that is planted in the fact that they are loved. And God's got it all under control and they can put their full trust in Him. Number three. It teaches us, not it, sorry, the Holy Spirit teaches us who Jesus really is. John 16, 12 to 14. I know we're reading a few scriptures here, but we're going to set this up. Bear with me. There is so much more... I want to tell you, but you guys, you, you actually can't bear it all right now. Next one. Oh, Cindy. We're working on it. Okay, let me get it here. I had a backup just in case. Oh, thank you. And when the spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And that belongs to the Father is mine. That which belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. This is Jesus speaking, of course. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But in a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says in a little while you won't see me, but then you'll see me for I am going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We just don't understand. Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, a little while after that, you will see me again. Now, it seems like a little bit of a riddle, but what we're seeing here is that Jesus is talking to the disciples and in that place where actually the Holy Spirit is, he has to go so the Holy Spirit can actually reveal the full intentions and the full heart of who Jesus is even though he was gone. So that leaves us to where I really want to land here. And Joey, if you can come back, I know you had a short break. We pay you so much. We see here that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a powerful life. Point number four. Now let's just park here for a little while because some of you might think we're going off to be Pentecostal crazies and start frothing over Acts 1.8 and throw everything else out of the passage of the Bible, but there is a great understanding that I really feel that as a church for us to continue to keep going to the next level, that we really need to have a grounding. We understand that we have an infilling of the Holy Spirit in salvation. And the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God to us so that we can understand, we can get revelation and we can grasp spiritual principles. We understand the Holy Spirit is a person he has an intellect, he has emotions, he has a will, and we see that, that because obviously he reflects the very nature of God, so we see that there's a similarity, well not a similarity, it's exactly the same, in the, the, it's a, in the triune, the trinity, it's a three Godhead um, deity that we serve, I know I'm dropping some big words here, but I just, I just want to get it set up here, but as we go on, we see here that in Acts 1, Verse 8, the Amplified Version says that you will receive power. You shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you may be, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends or the very bounds of the earth. Now, I just want us to park here for a little while because if you see... In verse 5, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding that the disciples have when they're figuring out what Jesus was talking about. Now, Jesus was just about to ascend up into heaven, go up in a cloud, and he was about to sit at the right-hand side of the Father in all authority, and he was going to reign and rule, which has happened. But what I love here is that Jesus, in his setup of explaining all this, 
He goes on and he says there was one that baptized in water, which was John the Baptist. But there's one who is going to come that he's actually going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, what do you mean with this whole baptism? We've done water baptisms here. We had about 10 people water baptized earlier this year. And that was a step of obedience following Jesus through the waters of baptism. It was a demonstration publicly. We've got our taking this public t-shirts because we're taking the fact that we take Jesus serious. We go down under the water. It's, a sim it's symbolic of we've been born again. And as we go down under the water, our old man, our fleshly man, our carnal man is dead. And we rise up a new creation. We have a new birth. People say we've been born again. And then we realize that as we've done that, so we've got salvation, we've got water baptism, but then we've got Jesus talking about this other baptism that is going to happen. And he's asked the 120 disciples that they need to go and wait for this thing to happen. This outworking, this outpouring, this this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at the word baptism in the Greek that the original context, the original text of this was written in Greek, is the word baptizo. That word in Greek means to be immersed, to be dipped repeatedly, to be submerged, to be overwhelmed. Hang on. So we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're going to be immersed, dipped repeatedly, submerged and overwhelmed. You know, a great pastor friend of mine, Pastor Martin Steele, he was really trying to drive this point home as he was doing a teaching around it. And it was probably the most profound analogy that, that I actually heard. He said, if you get a bucket and you fill that bucket with red dye. You get a white t-shirt. You get that white t-shirt and you just give it a quick dunk in. Well, maybe that might be a tie-dyed t-shirt. There might be splatterings of red on it. But if you get that white t-shirt, that piece of cloth, and you keep dumping it in and rinsing it and immersing it, and then bringing it up and flipping it upside down and repeating it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's what Jesus was trying to say. You can be filled, you'll be baptised, you'll be fully immersed, you'll be overwhelmed, you'll be so full of the Spirit of God because you're going to need to have God's power on in you. Acts 1.8 says, you know, to live this Christian life, you need ability, supernatural ability. You need supernatural efficiency and you need supernatural might. We can't build a church through a, a smart business strategic plan. It's not going to have any life in it. We might be able to get some numbers and we can get some artists and we can get some 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 comedians that might be able to have some Christian jokes and we could draw a crowd but to have a life-giving spirit-filled church that's overflowing and is effervescent with with the fruit of the spirit which is love joy peace patience and the other couple I can't remember off the top of my head right now but we've got the power of God that that there's fruit that is so evident 
because we're connected in past. Izzy preached a phenomenal message about being connected into the vine, that life-giving supply. We can have that life-giving supply through the power of the Holy Spirit. So why don't we see more of the demonstration of the power of God, the power of His Spirit? Well, it does cost something because we, we either choose to sow according to our own agendas, our own nature, our own will and wants, or we can either choose to sow according to the Spirit of God. And when you sow according to the Spirit of God, the things that matter to God begin to matter to you. When you sow according to the, the Spirit of God, well, those carnal desires that want to drag you off to live a selfish life and, the, and fulfill the pleasures of this world, they get reined in because you're constantly being immersed with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's power resides on the inside of you, it's like a check and a balance. And it says, ah, 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 you don't want to go there. That's going to cause you pain. I want you to fulfill, I want you to fulfill the fullness of my plan and my purpose for you. I want you to feel guilt, shame free. I want you to be a, a son and a daughter of God. And I want you to live with the peace and the joy that can only come supernaturally when you live a life full of the Holy Spirit. So we see here that they waited. And then in verse chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, I haven't given you this, so I'll write it down. We don't have it for the screen. And when the day of Pentecost had fully came, had fully come, sorry, they were all assembled together in one place. They assembled there and there came a sound from heaven like a rushing of a violent tempest blast. And it filled the whole house, this upper room in which they were all sitting and were waiting. And then appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were separated and distributed and which settled out on, on, on each and every one of them. And they were filled. Listen to this. The Amplified Version says that they were diffused throughout their souls. They were immersed that red dye got into every little mil cubic millimeter of material. And that's what happened to the early church. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where some people go, well, maybe that was just to get the early church up and firing. These guys are running for their lives. They were getting murdered, killed, stoned, hung, public executions. Well, maybe they need an extra burst of God to really get the church up and rolling. And then they got sorted and then the Holy Spirit backed off a bit. They didn't need as much power and now we're just rolling and we're in the aftermath of that. But there's something that sort of probably doesn't quite match up with that way of thinking because if you see in Ephesians 5 verse 11, it's very clear here where it He's talking to the church of Ephesus and he says, don't get drunk with wine. This is the message version. I like this. For this is stupidity. Okay. That's pretty clear. We know what that does on our kidneys and everything else. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Consistently be filled with the Holy Spirit consistently and be guided by Him. Other versions say, keep on being filled. Another version says, be being filled. So we see here that the Apostle Paul is talking the church of Ephesus. It's not just a once-off moment where bang, the Holy Spirit comes and you get this supernatural empowerment and you get infused and you get baptized. 
And then you go out and you do some stuff for God. And then that, well, that was my sort of turbo boost for a portion of time. No, we as believers, we get to partake of this and we get to tap into it. We get to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis so that we can live lives that glorify Jesus in everything we do so that we can be like the name of our church. We can take the love of Jesus publicly. We can be that light up on a hill. That's just not the name of a church. That's our lives. That you and I have lives that live on a lampstand on top of a hill for everyone to see because we're going public with the fact that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's just not another religious choice. It's just not another option. Do you want to be a Muslim, Buddhist? Do you want to be a Christian? No, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one can get to the Father except through Him. And Jesus had to go to give us the Holy Spirit to live this life to propel and to build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a church institution. It can't be contained. It can't be wrapped up into a denomination. Man tries to put all that around it and it, and it sort of helps facilitate some Christian activity. But at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is the church of God and it's advancing and it's greater and the gates of hell actually can't prevail against it. But a church that's full of people who are walking, talking, liaising, relating to the Holy Spirit, that's a church of power. That's a church where victory is evident within it. That's a church where people aren't living for themselves. That's a church where people are looking out for one another. I could pull scripture after scripture after scripture in John where it talks about the, the fact that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is that we wouldn't be envious of our neighbours. We wouldn't be envious of someone else who's getting a promotion. We wouldn't be envious of someone else who's getting an opportunity. An evident fruit of the Holy Spirit is the fact that we celebrate when other people get wins and have success. I don't know about you, but if you look in the corporate sector... There's not too many backslaps going on there when people get promotions and they get elevated. There's maybe some fake grins and it's like, you dog, who did you suck up to to get that job? But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, that carnal thinking is wound out and is replaced. What is the Holy Spirit's job to do? Is to promote and infuse and sprinkle Jesus' way of living, Jesus' teaching. So when we live walking closely with the Holy Spirit, that's where we live in the victory zone. That's where we live in the selfless zone. That's where we live in the Jesus-glorifying zone. And that's when we find the most fulfillment, the most purpose, and the most joy when we're connected in with what God wants us to do. That's where we find the truest fulfillment. I'm at my worst and was at my worst at times in my life, particularly in my late teenage years where I was trying to run off and live according to my flesh and do whatever I wanted to do. I was the prodigal son and God welcomed me back in. There's been times in ministry where it's been tough and it's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, God. Holy Spirit, please don't ask me to do anymore. I just want to sit on a beach and relax. And he's like, no. I want you to obey me. I'll give you every bit of power. 
I've given you every bit of courage. I've given you every bit of strength. I'll give you every bit of ability. I'll give you every gift that you need. I'll supernaturally enable you to do stuff that you can't do. And you need not fear that you can't do it. You need not fear that you're going to fail. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. You're in this perfect spot for me, Cameron. Totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. And some of us, we wrestle with that. But that's the sweet spot. And that's the place that God wants us to be.